I want to kind of start with a little quiz this morning. I, I've already um, told you that the most frequently used one another command, we're talking about the one another's of the New Testament, 59 of them as far as I can tell. Um, the biggest one, not surprisingly, is love one another. No surprise there. What do you suppose the second most repeated one another is in scripture? Is it to encourage one another or live in harmony with one another or forgive one another? You might be surprised. The second most frequent one in scripture is greet one another with a holy kiss. So let's get to it. If you would just turn to... Oh, COVID, right. Okay. Well, we're not talking about an obscure reference, you know, somewhere near the back of the Bible. It's written by, by two apostles in five different letters. It encompasses a dozen different uh, congregations in several different countries. Four times, Paul urges his readers to greet one another with a holy kiss. And he has to tell the Corinthian church a couple times, maybe they weren't that friendly. And in Peter's first letter written to the churches in, in Asia Minor, he calls them to greet one another with a holy kiss or a kiss of love. I don't know if this is a generational thing. It probably is. But I've learned there's a Seinfeld clip for every situation and most scriptures as well. So uh, if you would just turn your direction to the screen. Yeah, there she is. Uh, uh. What? Ah, she's with her friend Wendy. Wendy? Is that the uh, physical therapist? Yeah, I'm on a kiss hello program with her. Really? Yeah, every time I say I got a kiss hello, I just did it once on her birthday, somehow it mushroomed. Now I dread seeing her because of it. Kiss hello. I am getting off the kiss program with her. Well, you know, frankly, I don't see the point to it. I'm not thrilled with all the handshaking either, but one step at a time. Hey, listen, I uh I need a picture of you, buddy. What for? Well, I'm uh I'm putting everybody's picture up in the lobby of our building. Why? So everyone will know everybody's name. See, people are going to be a lot friendlier. I don't want my picture plastered up in the lobby. Imagine walking by someone on the floor and you say, hey, Carl. And he says, hey, Jerry. See, that's the kind of society I want to live in. <laughs> I don't want to stop and talk with everyone every time I go in the building. I just want to nod and be on my way. Hi, Jerry. Mm. <laughs> Hi, John. How you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good? Not great? Okay, great. <laughs> Oh, I'm delighted. Okay, have a nice day. You too. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Hey. Ah, oh, well, thank you very much. For what? For putting my picture up on that wall. I'm like Richard Dawson down there now. long, boring, tedious conversation. I can't even get out of the building. You should be thanking me for liberating you from your world of loneliness and isolation. Now you're part of a family. And I'll tell you another thing, Cosmo, Kramer, whatever you want to be called, the kissing thing is over. There's no more kissing, and I don't care what the consequences are.
anymore. I'm sorry. It's nothing personal. It just makes me a little uncomfortable, and I can't do it. I'm sorry. Uh, hi, Jerry. Hi, Louise. I was just telling Mary how I'm not going to be doing the kiss hello thing anymore. I'm sorry. I just can't do it. It's nothing personal. It's just that I'm not really able to do it, and uh, I'm sorry. Thank you for your cooperation. Hey, Kramer, look at this. Look at my picture. I've been defaced. <laughs> Don't you worry, buddy. I made double prints. <laughs> hey, hey, God, hey. Oh, hey, hey Jack. Jack. How you doing? Hi, Dad. <laughs> hey, Julio. I was wondering, could you get to that shower today, you think? Oh, I see. When you need something done, then you're very friendly to people, huh? No, no, that's not true. Well, what I think it is. It's a big building, Seinfeld. Maybe I'll get to it someday. After I take care of the people that are civil to each other. <laughs> Introverts and the extroverts are looking at that clip very differently. Some of them are like, ah, I'd love to live in a building like that. You know, the Bible is actually full of, of kissing, stories of sons kissing fathers and brothers kissing brothers, friends kissing friends, and um, people kissing false idols and kisses between a woman and her fiance. There's just a whole lot of kissing in the Bible. Uh, but all, not all kisses are created equal. Some kisses are friendly, some are romantic, some were just ways of showing acceptance. I think you know to this day, there are different cultures and countries where uh, kissing is, is practiced regularly as a, as a greeting. Any of you have been in a country like that, where in Spain maybe, or in uh, with uh, Israel, um, Persian parts of, uh, parts of Europe are like that. Uh, I was, uh, have you heard of states where there's these old 19th century laws on the books that nobody quite remembered are still there. Um, nobody enforces them, but they're still, uh, they've, they've been forgotten about. And this happens in states because of the autonomy that they have, but uh, they get lost in modernity a bit. And I found in researching for this message that there's some kissing laws that are still on the books. There's a city called Bench, Idaho, where you can kiss, but if you do it on a Sunday, you are required to pause for breath between each kiss. That's on the books, seriously. I, I think that's just a good practice anyway. Um, in Logan County, Colorado, it's illegal to kiss a sleeping woman, which I think we can all say amen to that, except if you're a princess in a deep, deep curse of a sleep, uh, then what? And uh, some of you need to be careful if you go to Indianapolis because it's apparently against the law there to kiss someone if you have a mustache. And uh, so kissing can get you into lots of trouble. There's some women who are going, how do I, what's, what city in Indianapolis is, is that? Um, 
Back in Bible times, kissing was a way of showing acceptance and affection, and it, it happened between friends. It happened when you welcomed strangers, uh, respect for someone who maybe had power or influence, uh, kind of like shaking hands or hugging that we would do today in our culture, the way bowing is in some other cultures. So are we one of those, you know, liberal churches that sort of pick and choose the parts of the Bible that, that we want to follow? No, we are not. We believe the Bible is the inspired and authoritative word of God. So I guess we can't ignore this teaching. Some of you are getting the heebie-jeebies right now, and you don't like where this is heading. Pastor, I'm kissing nobody at church. Don't get your boxers in a bunch just yet, okay? What is a holy kiss? What is the real intent of this command? Maybe more importantly, how do we faithfully fulfill it in, in the church in 2020? COVID has kept some people from kissing. I think it's also revealed just how many ways this generation has to keep in touch. Uh, we have landlines. You remember landlines? Millennials, let me tell you about landlines. They are like your cell phone, but they have a cord attached to it. And uh, try as you might, you cannot take a picture with them or play Candy Crush on them. But we have cell phones. We have FaceTime and texts and WhatsApp and Zoom and Skype and Google Hangouts and email and snail mail and airmail and Insta and Facebook, virtual Reality holograms, I think, are right around the corner. And with all of this, you would think that we would be the most relational people in the history of the world uh, with all these healthy personal connections. We should have warned people that those who um, have um, uh, you know, strobe effects or, or have, what's the thing that's... Epilepsy, sorry. Epilepsy is not funny, but this is every now and then. We will fix it, and, and I won't be distracted by it. Uh, we are not actually a very connected generation. I don't have to tell you that. In fact, Gen Z, my, my daughter's age, are, in spite of all the technology, despite all the ways that they can connect, are one of the most isolated generations ever. So we are alone in a crowd at times. Um, so could it be that this tiny little New Testament one another nugget that we sometimes just happily skim across might have something to say about our isolation, might even be a clue of sorts that points us to the answer for our aloneness. For instance, I, I want you to notice something when Paul commands us to greet one another, the word greet is an um, active command verb. In other words, it implies that you should take the initiative, okay? You don't expect others to greet you. You know, sometimes people come to church and hunker down in their seats and wait for someone to come and greet them. Well, if you're one of those people, you got it backwards. Paul says, you take the initiative. He says, you greet one another. You know, what does Proverbs say? That, that a man who has friends must show himself friendly. So the best way to make friends when you join a church is for you to be 
invitational for you to take initiative, for you to walk across the room, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Now, unfortunately, there are some people who expect, even demand, um, the attention of others. Jesus describes the Pharisees, these holier-than-thou religious types, as those who walk around the marketplace all dressed up in fine robes, and they look so dignified, and they expect a greeting. And it's like, there are some people who seem to, to say, well, here I am. Everybody notice me. And there are others who seem to be saying by their spirit and their attitude, there you are. There you are. I've noticed you. I see you. The Pharisees, I think, were here I am people. And Jesus was a there you are kind of person. I see you kind of person. A person who was truly concerned about others. He says in Matthew 5, don't just love your own or those who love you and who are nice to you. Even the pagans and the tax collectors do that. And James, the brother of Jesus said, never show partiality when the rich come. Don't give the best seats in the house. Treat everybody the same. James even says, you know, it's actually sinning to show partiality to others in that way. So no matter one station or one's class or condition, no matter where one is on their spiritual journey, when you see people, be a there you are kind of person, a person who would greet and love with warmth and enthusiasm. Now, I realize when we get a verse like Romans 16, 16, that we'll get to, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Our attention is immediately drawn to the word kiss. Of course it is. But in the grammar of the text, that's not really where the emphasis of the verse lies. The main thrust of this command is what? Greet. That's the primary command is to greet. Okay, so this is the greeting verse, not the kissing verse. That doesn't mean that the kiss is unimportant. It's just not the emphasis it's, it's on the greet, not the kiss. So interestingly, the root of the word means to enfold in the arms. It, it could easily have been translated as hug, actually. And in fact, likely in the first century, um, even in the kiss greeting, the hug remained. You would embrace someone in your arms and give them a kiss on each cheek. But the command wasn't to kiss. It was about how they should kiss. It was to be holy. It was to be marked by love. Um, greeting one another in the church was something to be special. You know, it, w- it was more than just sort of feigned politeness, which we're good at. More than just sort of a heartless tradition. Hey, how you doing? It was to be affection from the heart. And the holy part of the kiss means that there's no sexual overtones. There's nothing creepy going on here. You know what happened by the second and third centuries, the holy kiss or the kiss of love actually became an important part of the early church's worship. The kiss was the opening act of their celebration of the Lord's Supper. Um, Communion was seen as a time of fellowship and intimacy, both with God, but with brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Um, the kiss signified that, that we were all one in Christ. And the church was to be a place where everyone was loved and included in Christ. The holy kiss let everyone know that they were welcome as part of the body. Now, trust me, I am not advocating kissing in church, but doesn't it sound like a great church? Doesn't that spirit and culture appeal to you in some way? Where all are welcomed, all are included. We got to be careful, I know, how to apply first century teaching in a modern situation. We, you know, we could simply transfer the practice of kissing and sort of be, you know, call ourselves biblical purists, but actually miss the point. You know, a few weeks ago, we talked about when Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he asked them, he asked us to do the same. Well, the principle for us really isn't to literally wash feet, which has no practical usage in 2020. The takeaway is that we would be willing to serve, that we would be willing to humble ourselves and that no one is too important for us to, to humbly serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this is the challenge, isn't it, of reading the Bible faithfully and wisely and applicably, we need to distinguish between the universal uh, principle and the cultural application. You know, we saw the same thing with head coverings. In the first century, uh, a, a woman who didn't wear a head covering in public, public was usually considered a, a prostitute or a woman of, of loose morals. So Paul, you know, said that women in churches should keep their heads covered. Uh, but if you look back two or 4,000 years before that in, in Genesis, um, we see that wearing a veil was actually part of the prostitute's attire. And so that was a different time and a different culture. And we live in a different time and a different culture. I think the universal principle would be, you know, don't dress or conduct yourself in, a, in such a way that sends a message of immorality. In, in 1 Timothy, Paul advises his, his little brother in Christ, Timothy, to, to drink a bit of wine for your stomach. I don't think the command is that we should all drink wine. Um, Paul was simply giving what actually turns out to be pretty sound medical advice for the first century where wine was an effective treatment for certain parasites and stomach ailments. So, here we have this similar situation in Romans 16 and a bunch of other greet one another's with a holy kiss verses where kissing is the cultural application of the universal principle because context matters, right? So let's see if we can just dig some universal principles out of this. Let me read Romans 16, sort of an abridged version. I'm going to absolutely slaughter some names here. Uh, greet Priscilla and Aquila. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinitus. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ. And my dear friend Statius, nailed it. Greet Apollos, tested and approved in Christ. 
Greet those who belong to the household of Aristopolis. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena. I miss this day in Bible college. And Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother who has been a mother to me too. Greet that person and that other person and Hermes and Petrobus and Hermas and the brother. Greet, 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 greet. These are people who matter to Paul. And he's devoting a fair portion of this famous letter, honoring them and letting them know that he remembered them. And I know it sounds like he's reading through the church directory. Why is this in Holy Scripture? I I think there's a lot more going on that we can glean from. First of all, I hope you can hear the sort of the pastoral care in this letter. He knows these people. He's done life with these people. There's some battle wounds probably there. I, I, I think these are heartfelt greetings. And I think you can tell he genuinely loves these people. He cares for them. And if you can picture this first century community, far from perfect, right? Because, you know, whenever people show up, it gets messy and it gets political and it gets annoying. But there's something here that God has ordained that taps into some of the the deepest longings in our soul, I think. You know, that we would want to be a place where everybody knows your name and they're always glad you came. You want to be where people see our troubles are all the same. You want to go where you want to go where people know people are all the same. That shouldn't be the theme song of a beloved bar. That should be our theme song. And I'm going to borrow a tagline from another church. But when I saw its simplicity, I thought, oh, I'm stealing that because it sums up um, how a spiritual community ought to be. And so this is going to become our small group mission, that we would care about other people's spiritual growth and notice when hard things happen. That's it. I mean, it ain't, it ain't rocket surgery, right? I think that that sentence alone is something Christians, non-Christians, everyone would want to be a part of, a community of welcome, a, a community of tender affection, of warm embrace, a place where there is a shoulder to cry on, an ear to listen, a heart to care. And part of the treasure of Romans 16, I think, is getting a glimpse at the power of relationships in this community. And it begins with the way that we receive one another, the way we greet one another. Now, I want you to notice in this text also the power of names. This is no generic greeting. Like Paul didn't give one of those, hey, say hello to the gang for me. Paul's greetings are really personal. And I love that Paul took the time to address so many of these people by name. Church, Can I just say, it is so important to learn and use each other's names. This, I got to say, has always been one of the weaknesses I've had as a pastor. And yet, can I tell you, when I I moved here, I felt like, not to over-spiritualize it, 
But I felt like God was giving me this grace to know and remember names. You know, not my strong foot, suit, strong foot, strong suit. Having said that, uh, I also put in the work. You know, I would take pictures of people with, with my phone, and then I'd write their name on, on the picture, right? And then, uh, yeah, uh, they didn't always know I was going to take their picture. And, but then I found this treasure trove of Polaroids of all the volunteers. So I took pictures of those pictures and had 100 pictures of pictures on my phone. And I started memorizing. And you know what? If you download our Church Center app and upload your picture to the directory, you can do that too. And I, I know no one would intentionally think this, but here's the message when you don't join in on something simple like a photo directory, apart from privacy concerns. The message could come off as, I kind of know everyone uh, that I want to know. Or, you know, I'm not going to put in the effort so that others can get to know me. I know we all want to, to love people and be caring towards people it's really hard to do that when you don't know their name. So I, I'm going to continue to work at this because I know it's important. I know, I know how important it is when people remember my name. When someone meets me and remembers me later, it, it, it says they value me. I, I, uh, I remember one time years ago, uh, I met a guy, Kerry uh, Newhoff. Uh, that's a name you may recognize. I don't like to be a name dropper, as I was telling my friend Joel Osteen the other day. I just don't like doing that. But uh, he, he, I just met him briefly. I'm, I don't even remember saying my name. Oh, hi, I'm Jonathan. I'm from a little church uh, in Stony Plain. And uh, well, he was in Edmonton. Later, I run into him um, at a, a restaurant and... Uh, he goes, oh, hey, Jonathan, do you know if there's any seats? I just felt like so honored that in that little interaction in the morning, he addressed me by name at night. And I want to point something else about these names that we just read. You know, we read a bunch of funny sounding names. But if you were reading this in the first century, you, you would notice some things. First thing you would notice is how uh, the list can includes both Jews and Gentiles. Now, you would never see this outside the church. You wouldn't see Jews hanging out with Gentiles, okay? Gentiles thought Jews were just weird. Jews thought Gentiles were just unholy, untouchable. And Jews and Gentiles hanging out and kissing, like it was unthinkable, but here it is. And I want to remind us, I want to remind us that our fellowship is so much greater than any racial, cultural, ethnic difference. It's, it's tragic that in 2020, we still see so many divided Christians, and that's got to end. It's got to end. Second thing you would see if you had first century eyes is that several of these names were actually common slave names. And, and what's cool is, is you see them mixed in with names of a very different class. Like Narcissus was a rich and powerful man who we're told had influence with Emperor Claudius. Um, biblical scholars believe that 
Aristobulus was the grandson of Herod the Great. You know, our fellowship is greater than social rank or economic status. In the church, it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you come from or what neighborhood you live in. Uh, You would also notice how many women Paul greets in this text. Nine of the 26 are female. Five of them are especially commended for their ministry in the church. You would not find that kind of public recognition of women anywhere else in the first century. Um, Don't don't get me started on the suppression of women's voices in the church. Actually, if you want to hear my opinion on that, you can look up a message on our website in a series called Hot Topics. No wonder Paul could write to the Galatians and say, there is neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave, nor free, nor male, nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So there is power in names, and there is power in a warm, authentic greeting, one that that might actually leave a lasting first impression. Think of the times where you have been well-received, whether it's at a restaurant or a house party or maybe your first day of work. Um, At the same time, just try and remember how disheartening it is to to not receive a good welcome. You know, to stand alone in a corner uh, at a party and sort of fend for yourself or be treated by the hostess of a restaurant like you're an inconvenience to her day. Or, you know, I don't know, most people's first day on a job is something like this. Oh, uh, you're here? Okay, um, we'll pull out a desk over there and uh, maybe why don't you start by reading the policy manual. Those are not great welcomes. You know, when you genuinely feel like someone is happy to see you, it makes you feel loved. It makes you feel wanted. I think one of the things, unfortunately, that this pandemic has robbed from us is also the power of touch, of, of hugs, of actually seeing people's smiling faces. It has really robbed us of that. And while there's a whole other sermon about the power of touch um, called The Untouchables that you can look for on our website as well, but I want to move on. No one who comes through our doors should ever feel neglected or overlooked. None of these one another verses, um, it's implied that, that these verses are actually meant for Christians treating Christians, right? But it's also the way we ought to greet and welcome visitors to our church. It's so important. I've heard of churches that sort of practice a two-minute rule, and it goes like this. For the first two minutes after church, you should talk to people you don't know. Um, Knack, could we be a kind of church who cares for each other's spiritual growth and notice when hard things happen? And the way we welcome and the way we receive one another is actually a testimony to what we believe about God, a God who welcomes and receives us, a tender an affectionate greeting says that I welcome you 
and I receive you just as God does. You will, you, you will find his love and his grace here. Um, you will find a home here. With us, you will have a family. When you have nowhere else to go, come here. When no one else will listen, I want you to talk to us. You are my brother. You are my sister. You are welcome here. Folks, this is what we call an all play. You ever play a board game and it's usually individual turns and then you draw a card and it says all play. You know what I'm talking about? That means that it's like you can't sit this one out. This is for everybody. I'm just telling you, this one another command, it's an all play. And whether we are known as a welcoming, receiving warm church depends on all of us. It depends on us to one another, each other well. Those who are lonely, those who are struggling, we need to meet them with warmth and sincerity. It's not the job of just the door greeters or the ushers. It's not the job of just the pastor and his wife. It's not just for Linda and Steve Robinson. This is an all play. See, um, greeting one another is more than sort of Seinfeld small talk. It's more than just a handshake. It's looking at someone and saying, in my book, you count. Uh, you're worth something. I see you. I want to get to know the real you. So can I challenge those of you who call Knack their home, that, that each of you would become permanent church greeters? I don't mean like organized necessarily in a monthly scheduled way, though we, we need people to volunteer for that too. But you would just be one who greets one another every Sunday in an informal, friendly way on your own. You take the initiative. I'd like to challenge you not to come to church and sort of plop down and wait to be ministered to by others, um, but to come to church every Sunday with the the mindset, the intention that you are serving in the ministry of heartfelt, meaningful greeting. And I'd like to challenge you uh, to not come to church at the last moment, but to actually maybe even build in time so that you can greet and minister. And I know that we have these challenges in the midst of COVID. It's, it's harder. It's harder. But um, we can rise to that challenge. It's really a picture of the gospel an invitational God who actually pursues us, right? Who greets us warmly, who, as, as Neil said, is knocking on the door of our heart, you know, not waiting to be chased after, but actually chases after us. He came into our world and our mess and he lived a perfect life, suffered where it should have been us, defeated death because we couldn't, rose from the dead and gives us that same gift of eternal life. And Emma has responded to that invitation. She believes, she believes. I'm going to invite the band to come up and, uh, and Emma and Danita to change. But at NAC, we practice um, believer baptism. And this is for those who have made the commitment to follow Jesus. Acts says, those who believe and accepted the message of Jesus 
were baptized. It's a, it's a public demonstration of an inward reality, of an inward decision. We do it because Jesus did it. We do it because Jesus told us to do it. Uh, we do it because the old life has passed away. A new life has begun. It is, a, it is more than just a metaphor. It's more than just a symbol. It is this act wherein um, you'll see Emma go under the water. Her old life before Christ is buried. And she comes out resurrected in the new life of Jesus. And so it's serious, but it's also a celebration. You know, in Luke 15, it says that the angels throw a party in heaven when, when just one sinner repents. So when Emma comes out of those baptism waters, I know you have mass on and everything, but we need to respond accordingly, like a party. Can we do that? Yes, good. The resurrected king is resurrecting Emma in all kinds of ways. Why don't you stand with us and uh, we'll sing together.